I had an interesting call uh, this past week. Um, just kind of came unexpectedly on Wednesday. Pick up the phone call, and it's from a church group. All right. And um, they called themselves the New Heaven and New Earth Church. Anyway, um, and the lady sounded very affable, very friendly. Uh, and she said, look, uh, pastor, we're just sort of trying to reach out to all the pastors in New Zealand. We just want pastors over New Zealand to work together more um, and to celebrate Jesus and being the church together. And um, actually, we'd like to have a Zoom. Would you join us for a Zoom meeting later this week so we can just join with all the other pastors and we can just praise the Lord and discuss how we're going to work together? So I said, okay. But I said, uh, before I join you in your Zoom meeting, I'm going to, what's the name of your church? I just want to do a bit of research. Because the Lord has made us as pastors to be watchkeepers on the, on the walls. And so I'm happy to join with other believers. I just want to do some homework. Anyway, I never received the email she was going to send me with information. But I did look up the church. And they originate in South Korea. They've got, it's a mega, mega, mega church. You see some of the photos. They don't say this overtly, but they see their leader as Christ returned again to earth. And what they're trying to do is to get together church leaders and influence them under these prayer meetings and Zoom meetings because if they can capture a pastor's heart, the watchkeeper's not on the walls anymore. And I'm not saying it's just me, the pastor, but that's part of our jobs. And they can capture a whole church that way because that pastor will influence. And so what they do is they lead you to the teachings of the church. And it sounds all good and fair when they start, but once they get going, uh, you find out as we look at a bit of a history of this church in New Zealand and across the world, that uh, they specifically go for young ladies. They aim at them. And they try and capture their hearts. And then what they urge them to do later on, once they're going to these churches, is to leave where they are now and join their meetings. And they have them all over in Wellington, in Auckland, in Christchurch, especially among university students. And then they tell these ladies to cut themselves off from their families because they are now the bride of Christ. And so it starts. And there are many, many sad stories of young girls who've walked away from their families. And I know what Jenny was telling me about some in Wellington when she used to stay there. That have walked away from their families, don't want anything more to do with their families for a while. And it's because of this new heaven and new earth church which is one of many. So be warned. And we're going to speak about the new things which come your way. Be warned. There's nothing new. It all comes in different disguises. But God's truth is the unchanging thing we hold on to. And that's what we're going to zero in on today. And so as we get back into our Hebrew studies, we've got two sermons left it's today and next time in Hebrews and then we're through Hebrews. So I hope you remember Hebrews still. The book starts with an H. Um, but let's read through uh, the part of the chapter here, Hebrews chapter 13, and I'm going to be looking at uh, verses 8 to 16 this morning. So if you want to follow in your Bibles, I'll read that text now. Hebrews 13 verse 8. 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Interesting that happened to me this week. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Now, in this last chapter of Hebrews, just to kind of very quickly summarize again and to put us into the context of the whole of the book of Hebrews, we need to see this last chapter in the context of the whole, because if you don't, you've got these kind of funny, loose topics. and saying, why is he doing it? But if we see the whole of what he's been writing about, it makes sense. So what was the main theme? I should ask you, but I'll just tell you. What's the main theme of Hebrews? What's the reason for the letter? Would someone like to tell me? Anyone? To focus on Christ, all right? What was the problem in the, in the church that he was writing to? The problem was what? Judaism. Judaism was coming in again. These were many Jews in the church, and they were being tempted to go back to Judaism because they had been cut off by the Jewish society because they had joined the Christian church. They weren't allowed to buy in the markets. They, didn't want, they weren't known in their homes. They were seen as dead to the family by the fellow Jews, by their families. They were cut off, and they were suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And so they were being tempted back to Judaism and all the rituals. But he says to them, no, don't go back to the shadow of what was to come. Come to Christ, who is far superior, and stay with him, yes, through the suffering. And so then he, the, chapter 13 is kind of the so what of it all. How do you do that in practice? And so we're going to look at those themes as they come through. So he says to the main point is, he says, the rituals and the priests serving in those rituals of Judaism over the years have changed. I mean, Moses is no longer with you. Aaron is no longer with you. Um, they've all died. So the priests have changed. The rituals were changing in the church, in, in, the, in the Jewish um, synagogue. Um, things were getting added by some of the scribes and the Pharisees. But he says Christ is far superior in comparison. Verse 8, he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today forever. Now, that's one sentence. There are sermons in that sentence. I won't preach them all today. But why is this important? I'm just naming some of these reasons why it's important that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Here's some. Jesus, as the unchanging Christ, is a second person of the Trinity. 
He is God. What is that? And therefore, his attitudes and his promises to you and I don't change. God says, I'm the unchanging one. And therefore, God doesn't suddenly forget who we are and what he's doing with us. He's the unchanging one. He knows us. He knows the promises he's given to us. And therefore, says Malachi 3.6, we are not consumed because we are sinful creatures. Right? Here's another blessing of the unchanging Christ. Because he's unchanging, his blessings to us continue. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Very unlike the political leadership that we experience in our countries. It doesn't matter which country you are. Every time you get new leadership, you've got to first suss out, what are we getting? God's not like that. We know what we're getting through God, even though we don't know everything. He doesn't change. No surprises with God. So here's another advantage of Jesus Christ, the unchanging one. It means his wisdom or his truth and plan for our lives remains unchanging. Psalm 33 verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. God doesn't decide one thing for your life today and tomorrow he has a change of mood and then he does something completely different with your life. And, oh no, no, I'm going to do something different again. The plans for your life remain the same under the unchanging God's will. He knows what he's doing in your life. And so it doesn't matter whether you don't. It might all be up in the air for you, but he knows. And so you have to hold on to him and his unchanging character. Fourthly, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and therefore our hope remains unchanging. When you run to the rock in those times when the world caves in around you, you know that when you are in Him, you can hold fast, says Hebrews 6.18, to the hope set before us. You can hold on to it, and that hope will hold you. Fifthly, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and therefore the way to the Father always remains open. Imagine if there was only a certain time, and then, ah, you must. There is a time like it, though, when God withdraws His grace. But until then, Jesus has said, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so while that gate is open to the Father, you need to come through Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you are a believer, you've come to Him, you are saved. It is only through Jesus. When He withdraws His grace, when the Son of Man reappears, that door of grace will close. Then there will be no more coming to the Father and you are left to destruction forevermore. It's not my words. God says so. So you need to hear, my friend, if you're not a believer yet, there is still time. How do I know that? Because you're sitting in this church, I'm speaking these words, and he hasn't reappeared. When he reappears, my words will stop here. Life here will cease. We will be with him. And then there's no more time. And it will happen like this. Don't think he's going to send out adverts before the time. He's already done all his advertising. He said, I'm coming again. Be ready. I hope you are. 
There are many more reasons that, that are there because Jesus Christ is the same today and forever. And we're going to be looking at some of the aspects of how, how does that, what are the implications for my daily life, for the believer? And there are three areas, broad areas. The three areas are what I believe. There's an implication on what I believe. There's an implication on how I live in society. And there's an implication on how I live before God. And I've kind of separated those out. So, how does the fact that Jesus is the same to yesterday and today and forever have an impact on what I believe? Let's read verses 9 to 10 together. It says this. So, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Jesus and his truth doesn't change, says our text this morning. So therefore, don't be attracted by strange and new ideas. Believe me, you go onto Google and you will find many, many, many strange new ideas. And it's always about doing stuff. Even though they say sometimes about believing something or someone that some guru says, it's always about doing stuff. Do this. Don't do that. Wear this. Don't wear that. Follow this method. It's called, what's the L word? Legalism. It's legalism. Rules-based religion. And the same strong of legalism was pulling on these Jewish believers in the time that this letter is written, the bells and smells of Judaism. And there are many people today and many believers today who are attracted by the strange, the different, the latest, the new. Always the latest rabbit hole they want to disappear down. It shows one thing. It shows insecurity. Insecu Maybe what I've been doing up to now is wrong. This must be the right way. I'm going to go down and have a look. Rather, says the writer, just believe God's unchanging truth revealed to you. You never have to upgrade anything. You never have to upgrade to truth 2.0. Never. His truth remains the same. The same version they got when this word first came out is the same word we've got today. Just believe it. Don't forever be hunting for the next idea, the next Christian teaching. Instead, he says, let your strength or your security come from what? What does the text say? From God's grace. What's God's grace? God's love shown to you and I when we didn't deserve it at all. We were running away from him with our fists in the air, shouting abuse. That's grace. He says, let God's grace and his truth, let that be your security. Let what you believe always be governed and overshadowed by God's free and undeserved love shown to you when you didn't deserve it. And always through his word and, and never by what you need to do in order to please God. Be secure in his grace to you, as we heard earlier in that little five-minute clip. His grace to you. Let that be your source of everyday strength. And then is this interesting verse, which I'm sure you all understood first time. Verse 10 says, 
We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. So what's it got to do with it? Everything. What he's talking about here is he's saying the priests in the, in the Old Testament tabernacle would only allow, were only allowed to eat specific portions of the beasts that were brought to them as sacrifices, right? And the rest had to be burnt on the altar of burnt altar. Didn't belong to them. They belonged to, the, to God. They could only eat certain portions. The rest belonged to the Lord. So the writer is saying to us, he said, don't assign the, the source of your strength to your own doing because you're taking away from God's grace for you and the recognition of what His doings are in your life. Don't eat His portion. Eat what's assigned to you. Give Him praise for His grace. That's your domain. The rest is his. Don't do, take the recognition that goes to God. The grace and the truth of the unchanging Jesus Christ remains the same to you forever. He says to these believers, rest in grace alone. Rest in the grace alone. Nothing that you can bring. That's verses 9 and 10. Let's look at verses 11 to 14. How do I then live in society in the light of this truth? Verses 11. He says, under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burnt outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For... This world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. He says, Hebrews belie Hebrew believers, he says, you know that you will suffer for your faith. You need to know that. If you come from the Jewish faith into Christianity, your families will turn on you. You are going to um, experience loss, but suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Don't be tempted to walk away from that suffering and go back to Judaism and the acceptance of your society. Rather, he says, look at the example of what the high priest did and what Jesus did as a parallel to that um, later. What did he do? Well, the high priest slaughtered the animal and then the blood was taken into the holy place. And it was sacrificed to the Lord there. The high priest took the blood and he brought cleansing out. Right? Spiritual cleansing. However, the rest of the carcass of the animals were taken outside of the camp to the, the, the place of defilement, to the place that was not clean, and they were burnt there. They had massive big fires, and they used to burn all the carcasses there. And outside of the camp, says Leviticus 16, 27, lots of things happened. It's, it was a place which was unclean. People were buried there. If you touched the dead body, you were ceremonially unclean. Animal carcasses were burnt there. All the camp rubbish was burnt there. Personal toiletry happened out there. Lepers lived out there. Those who were sick were temporarily banned outside the camp. They had to live out there too. Harsh reality. And he says, now look to the example of Jesus' suffering, verse 12. When you suffer, look at Jesus' example. In his suffering... He also took the blood into the most holy place. He died for you. He paid the price of sin with his own blood. He took 
the blood which was covering your sin into the Holy of Holies with the Lord, and he made a way for you. But where was he crucified? Not in the Holy of Holies. Where was he crucified, he said? He was crucified outside the city by ceremonial law. And the Jews would have anyone crucified outside Jerusalem. He was crucified at Golgotha. What was Golgotha? It was a place, a little hillock in the middle of the big rubbish dump. It was a place of disgrace. It was a place of defilement. A place reserved for the ceremonially unclean, for those who were busy dying, for lepers and the dead. That's where Jesus was crucified. Now, I wish this verse wasn't there. Verse 13, what does it say? Help me, please. Church, what does it say? So let us go out there to him and bear the... And like Jesus, bear the disgrace that we need to for him. Because there's an action here. In light of this truth you know about what Jesus has done for you, it says, so let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. What does that mean? It means by, by holding on to Christ and his truth, you will get pushed. You will get pushed way out of your comfort zone. You will get pushed into the disparagement zone by those who do not like Jesus Christ, the truth, Christianity, and everything else that goes with it. You will be the target because you bear the image. But he says, be willing to go out to join him outside the camp of public acceptance and approval and suffer for the sake of his name, if and when he calls you to it, and he will. You see, this is the place where Jesus is doing ministry. He's doing ministry to the sick, to the unwanted, to the socially rejected, to the failures. He makes the sick well. He makes the dead alive. He makes the unholy holy. And that's where you and I are to meet him in the work we do. We are to go with Jesus and we are to meet those who are sick, those who can't help themselves, those who are unholy. We are to bring the message of good hope to them. We are to go with Jesus where he is doing his work. Too many of us are caught up and we are still in the camp. Pre-meeting to that meeting, to church, to that. And we never actually interact much with the world. And when we do, we don't say anything about our faith. And we're not saying we need to Bible bash people and just jump in the middle of conversations and talk about Jesus. Because that's not going to work, is it? But we need to pray for those opportunities where we can be like Jesus and interact with the world and that the Lord will create those opportunities where we can give testimony of our faith. I tell you, my friend, you pray that prayer and be willing to go out of your comfort zone. That prayer will be answered. The Lord will bring people your way and you better know what to say then. And he will help you. But do you know what to say? Do you know what Jesus Christ has done in your life? Do you know how to verbalize that? Tell your story. Do you know what the basic gospel message is? If you don't, you're inside the camp. He says, come to me and let's be an influence for the people around that need the doctor with a big D, the great physician. We are to be salt and light. And so I plead with you, my friend, 
as Wanganese Baptist Church here, anyone who attends here, let's just get out the salt shaker. And then there's that verse 14. And I love this because it gives us, it takes us from life every day in front of us and it gives us a forward-looking hope. What does it say, verse 14? For here we do not have an enduring city or a home, in the original, but we are looking for the city or home that is to come to us, says the original. This home is going to come to us. We're going to go to heaven, right? Heaven's going to come to us. How? Through Jesus Christ. When he reappears, we're going to be with him forever. Because what is heaven? Is it a place with nice buildings and they're going to play music, nice things in the street? You're going to look around at all the sights. No. Heaven is being in the, as the old King James used to say, being in the very presence of God. Right next to him. He's with us, we know, but we're going to be right in the presence of God because he's going to give us the ability somehow so that we can see our God. See what he's made. Do you look forward to that? If not, my friend, you need to go back to question one, as I said earlier. You see, is, what you're, is this what you are looking for? Or the word used in the Greek is seek. It's such a strong desire for something. You, you'll put everything aside and look for it. can't remember who was talking about the pearl of great price. Oh, it was Matt on his little thing on Facebook that I put there, his experience at college. He was saying, we need to, we need to put aside all this other stuff and search for that pearl of great price. Everything else gets pushed aside. That's what the word desire means. We are to not seek the approval of the world, but we are rather to seek his approval and being in God's presence. And here's the secret, which is an open secret. The better you get to know Jesus Christ and love him, the stronger that seeking will be. If you find yourself here this morning and your heart's not really seeking for reading God's word, getting to know his word, seeking for more of his presence and being with him, because you're not spending time with him. Strangeness has come over your life. If you've ever been in marital difficulties, there's a kind of a separation that happens between a couple. They don't talk. Become strange to each other. If your heart's desire and your eyes, your heart's desire and your eyes are on the unchanging Jesus Christ and your eternal home, which is Christ come to us, then it will affect how you live before God's face every day. So how do we live before God's face? Verses 15 to 16 says this. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus, take note, a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So how do I live before God? You see, throughout this letter, what the author has done is he has reinterpreted the whole Jewish priesthood and the sacrificial system in terms of what Christ has done so much better. Christ fulfilling those things. Now he reinterprets a physical sacrifice which is brought daily for sin. And he's saying there's no longer any need for that. Rather, God wants a sacrifice of what? Two things. What are they? From us. Does he want animals? 
cattle, deer, anything will go. No, he wants a sacrifice of praise and good works. Praise to who? Praise to him. And as a result, praise through our good works. There's always a worldly side there. There's always an outreach there. And so he says, God no longer requires this burning of a physical sacrifice. Rather, says verse 15, let us offer through Jesus a continual, watch that word, sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. See, burnt offerings were just temporary, repeated ritual. In the past, it's been replaced with what? Lips which speak. Lips which sing his praises. How often? Daily. Continually, says our text. And lives which are sacrificed to God. How often? Continually. Daily. For his service. And this can only happen, if you're like me, through Jesus. If you're trying to do this without Jesus, guess what? You're back to the first counter. You're trying to do it through good works, which is legalism has to come through Jesus. And in addition, he says, our lips and lives praising God is a deliberate proclamation of our allegiance to Jesus Christ alone. Now, here's the reality check for you and I, and I want you to get out your spiritual pencil here and to look at your life now. Put a tick box next to it. What do my lips actually proclaim every day? What's the reality? In here, they find they... Hey, brother, sister, going well, praise the Lord. It's good stuff. But out there, what do my lips proclaim? What words and thoughts cross my lips? Because what, I speak, what is speaking is just the heart overflowing through the mouth, right? What comes across my lips? Are they his praises? Or my continual whinging about my life? Or my own self-centered thoughts? Do my lips proclaim his memorized word and the wonder of his hand in my life every day? Or do they proclaim continually my opinions of the latest Netflix series which everyone's raving about? I can say that off by heart. I can tell people everything that's happened in that series. But I can't speak God's word. What are we proclaiming with our lips? Are the most things I remember this memorable lines from this latest smash hit on the radio or on Spotify. I can say all those words, but I can't say John 3.16. Do my lips proclaim his praises during worship and church services on Sunday, but then they start speaking the language of the world when I get out. These are the questions I ask myself. I've just written them down for your benefit. Does the meaning of the truth I utter in praise on Sundays, does it translate to reality in how I live my daily life before God and the world? And so we need to ask ourselves, what is my life taken up with every day? How does my daily life and your, your life and mine proclaim our allegiance to God in our everyday activities? And more importantly, how we do them. How we do them. Are you one of those people who... People have got to always fix up what you're doing because you do a half job. Or do you do it first time for Jesus Christ? 
when you have a conversation with a customer who's not that easy? Believe me, I've had a few. Do you have that conversation for Jesus Christ? Or do you have to kind of go fix up afterwards? What is, pro- what is the proclamation of your lips and your life? The flag that's flying over your life. Is it the flag of the Lamb of God flying proudly and beautifully? And yes, imperfect, imperfectly because we aren't perfect. But we are flying the flag of Jesus Christ loudly, proudly. Or does the flag over our lives hang there half limp and dusty and dirty and but ragged? Does my life proclaim a half-hearted, part-time, Sunday-only allegiance to Christ? God can see me, and so can the world. And so as we look at this question, I want to put to you, and I'll put it in just normal everyday language, if you and I are living our lives before God in the very presence of God, are we living our lives with wonder, awe, and praise? Or are we living it with dollar, online gore, and self-praise? If you and I are so self-absorbed, we will not be, says verse 16, which God requires of us, doing good and sharing with others. I want to ask you this, uh, this morning, and I'm getting to the end here so you can listen up, all right? What is the good you are sharing with others? Practically. Not words, just practically. What are we doing? Is the best we do as believers just popping some clothes in the clothes bin for the, those who don't have much? Or a donation in the charity box when they wave it in your face? Or is it actual hands and feet, self-sacrificing good where you see need? That's what Jesus does. You see, the good we do for others is a stepping stone to proclaiming His goodness on our lives and your very reason for doing that good because they will ask you, why are you doing this for me? I saw that in the latest floods in Auckland, some of the television interviews that some of our journalists have been doing. People are saying, why do you do this? Oh, well, the church helped me. Oh, really? But you're a Muslim. They helped me. Why? I don't know. They will ask, why do you do this? And that's the opening you were looking for. Lord, help me. Give me a prayer. You show someone so I can just say something. Why do you do this for me? That's your cue. Because Jesus loves me so much. He changed my life completely. And he can do the same for you. How? And then you start talking. Don't have to use big scriptural Old Testament phrases or King James Version only language. Just speak normal English. Tell them what Christ has done for you. Tell them your story. He will receive the glory. The proclamation will go from your lips that he is my king and my savior. That flag will fly fly proudly. And you will be doing that which pleases him, says the last part of our text. So what do we do with that? Very shortly, three bullet points here. I'm not even going to go into them. Just recapping. What's your daily relationship with Jesus Christ like? What's your interaction with his word like? Is it there? Are you seeking him and his truth? Secondly, what's your willingness to stand like and to be seen clearly as being a Christ follower among your friends, 
among your colleagues? Do people know you're a believer? Christian faith doesn't hand out t-shirts. We need to live it through our lives. Lastly, is the proclamation of your life, when people look at you and they summarize your life and what it's saying, is there a loud proclamation from your life and mine that says, I belong to Jesus Christ? Or does it say, I'm not sure what I'm, who I am. Or I say I'm a Christian, but I do this. What passes your lips? Those are the little things you can check yourself on. How do you serve? How do you deal with those who interact with you every day? Those will just help you to see where you're at. The Lord help us in this. This is his word to us. Now the hardest part comes. We've got to go live life. But Jesus is there with us. And his hope is there with us. So let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we've worked through this book of Hebrews and there's been so many beautiful truths that some of them have just been forgotten. But Lord, help us to work with what we remember now, what you've held up before us now, that you are the one who is far superior to any religion. You are Jesus Christ. You are the one worthy to be followed. You are the one whose flag we are to fly over our lives. Why not? Because you've shown us your grace. Why would we hold that back? But Lord, help us with our imperfections because we get tied up in our own weaknesses, in our own excuses, and our own fear of people. People become bigger than God. Give us a a great big. May we see a big God in front of us, not a small God. One who's worthy to be praised. One who we can tell our friends about. One we can stand clearly for. And Lord, when that time comes when you do ask us to be persecuted for our faith, to go through difficult times, may we remember that we are joining you outside the camp where you were railed where you were shouted at and abused, where you died for us on the cross, in the middle of the filth, you died and brought new life. Help us to be willing to stand like you and to point to you, the one who brings new life, but to be willing to stand there with muck on our feet. Help us in this because we are weak. You are our rock.